0: Hi everybody and welcome to a Truth in Accounting webinar. I'm happy to have Chuck Choquel on today. He is one of Truth in Accounting's board board members. He's been a member for many years and we're happy to have him. For more than 30 years, Chuck worked in the insurance industry and management positions, including the co-CEO of Progressive uh, Insurance. While while he's not competing in more than 250 triathlons, 36 half Ironmans, um, and 11 full Ironmans, um, he is reading boring government financial reports, including the one that was most recently issued by the federal government, their their annual financial report, and Chuck has found numerous very interesting data points that he wants to share with you today. Thanks for uh, coming on, Chuck.
1: Thank you for having me, Sheila. Uh, Let me start, this is the third year I've done this talk. And let me just start by explaining why I even do this. Uh, It's because I think this report, the Treasury Report, the Financial Condition of the United States of America is the most important report that the government puts out each year And there's almost no coverage of this report in the media, whether it be television or newspapers or online. In fact, this morning, I googled uh, the financial condition of the United States, and I got a year old report. This report was issued uh, about three weeks ago it was a week after the State of the Union address. So think about that. In uh, February 7, the president gave the State of the Union address to the nation where he said the State of the Union was strong. And roughly a week later, the Treasury secretary publishes a a 258-page report that says the financial condition of the United States of America is not sustainable and details how in debt we are and how large our deficits are. And yet the State of the Union address one week earlier makes no mention of our financial condition. So I start as a real skeptic of government why you would orchestrate it that way uh, to, released the report one week after the State of the Union and four and a half months after the end of the fiscal year, which ended September 30th, 2022. Um, so let's go and look at the report itself and we'll start with this page 14. And I should mention, if you wanna look at the report yourself, there's a couple ways to get to it. One is to go on truthandaccounting.org the website, and you'll find a link to the financial report of the United States of America. Another way is if you just Google US annual report, it does give you a link to this current report just issued uh, in February of 2023. So this is page 14. And I'm going to start with the two good news numbers. The Treasury Department would highlight and there, it is circled, the budget deficit decline of 50.4% um, in 2022. So our budget deficit was $1.375 trillion, down 50.4% from the prior year. So the Treasury Department says, that's great news. We reduced our deficit in half in one year. The other good news item number, is at the bottom of the page circled, And this bottom of the page, the bottom third is the sustainability measures over the next 75 years. It, it accounts, it's the net present value of all government spending less all government receipts. And its conclusion that circled is that The next 75 years look 18 trillion better than forecasted in last year's report. So those are the two good news numbers on this page. Unfortunately, there's a different perspective. There's a lot of bad news numbers on this same page. Go back to the circled 1.375 trillion number that is our budget deficit for 2022. That is the third consecutive years our country has had a current year deficit over a trillion dollars. And the budget the president just put out for next year, 2023 full fiscal year, is also forecasted to be over a trillion dollars. So that has become the norm for our country, to outspend our receipts by over a trillion dollars year after year after year. Uh, sadly, another bad news number is up above the, the next, the net cost of the government is $9.096 trillion, and that is up 23.8% in a single year. The size of our government grew 23.8% in a year. Now that's understandable maybe if you have a pandemic starting like in 2020 or 2021. But this is the third year of the pandemic and we're seeing the wind down of COVID expenses. That's why the deficit dropped 50%. So if our spending on COVID relief and extraordinary measures is declining, why is our government size going up 23.8% in a single year. That's a problem. One reason is we change, or the Treasury Department changes its assumptions about expenses. And you can see in the current year of 2022, a changed assumption was an increase in the cost of uh, veterans benefits and employee, employee, federal employee benefits to the tune of $2.207 trillion. So in total, we had all this, this government spending, we have our receipts. And if you drop all the way down to the net position, it's circled in the middle of the page our net position as a government is $34.061 trillion underfunded, negative. And most of that is the $24.3 trillion federal debt, which increased $1.9 trillion in the current year, plus liabilities of what we owe to federal employee and veteran benefits payable, $12.8 trillion. That number was up 2.6 trillion in a single year. Now I wanna stop and just make an observation. We all understand that federal debt and interest payable is a liability. And it sure makes sense that federal employee and veteran benefits is a liability because we owe the government workers and the military these pensions and their wages. But what's not shown as a liability is all the Social Security promises that are made, nor the Medicare promises. And this is because the government can change the program. And since they say they can change the design of the program and thus the benefits paid, it's not characterized as a liability for the government yet federal employee costs and veteran benefits, those are liabilities. Well, can't the government change those promises? Why are those promises more sacrosanct than promises to our social security beneficiaries? That's just an observation. But I think it's more important to focus on the long-term view of the country versus the current year alone. And if you go down at the bottom of the page, the sustainability measures show that over the next 75 years, we have a gap in our expending versus our receipts for the country of $79.5 trillion. That's enormous. That's triple the size of our economy. The good news again is it's 18 trillion better So let's ask what happened that it's 18 trillion better in a single year. So let's turn the page and look at why. So here you see the long-term assumptions. And the first thing is highlighted that's at the top, total receipts, 17.8 trillion. So this is a one-year change in estimate by the federal government saying over the next 75 years, we're going to collect 17.8 trillion more in taxes than we thought we were going to collect last year. That is an enormous increase. And by the way, that increase follows the prior year where it went up $37 trillion in a single year. So And over three years, it's gone up 60.3 trillion. So it is just astounding that the government in three years' time says that over the next 75 years, we're going to get 60.8 trillion more in tax revenues. And why is that? Because we've had a very strong labor market, lots of employment, and Rising wages, which are not only rising, but are forecasted to continue to rise for decades. Now, why else are we in an $18 trillion position better? Because other mandatory expenses have decreased by $17.3 trillion. Well, that's a big number, and what the heck why have a category that moves $17 trillion and call it other? I mean, I think that should be detailed further and I'll get to the detail on the next page. But basically this is deciding not to trend all the COVID expenses, COVID relief measures that were taken by the government, which last year had been trended over 75 years and made our spending look worse. And this year they said, you know, that's all temporary. And we're not gonna have that again, so let's not trend that. And thus they took it out and had a decrease of $17 trillion of assumptions from it. So again, we're $18 trillion better over the next 75 years, but... Last year, this same page, the same exhibit, was $18 trillion worse. So the two years netted each other. Long story short, we're still $79.5 trillion short in our commitments over the next 75 years, which is not a good position to be in. So now we'll go to the next page, 148 in this report. And there's that same $18 trillion number you saw on the prior page. And you can see $11.9 trillion of that, the biggest number, is change in model technical assumptions. And again, that is not trending what is deemed temporary COVID expenses. So that was the biggest improvement in our position, a change in assumption. Um, There are other changes in assumptions that were actuarially based or changed on the budget. The 4.6 improvement, 4.6 trillion that you see due to updated budget data, I'm not so convinced that updated budget data is a good uh, sign of reality because a lot of the budget data turns out not to be true. It's an estimate. Uh, What does tend to be true is that negative 2.1 trillion you see up above change in reporting period. And basically, that is uh, 2097 actual forecasted year replacing 2022. So when you roll forward the 75 year projection, you're saying in the future, each year of the future way at the tail, is $2 trillion worse than the year dropping off. So that's gonna keep happening year after year, I believe. So now we go to the next page to further look at assumptions. And these are the demographic and economic assumptions used by the Treasury Department. And this is on page 156 of the report. And they forecast a lot of different things, as you can see. The fertility rate is up from uh, prior year. That was good. And more people are having children post-COVID. That's a good sign for our country. Our age-adjusted death rate is down because we're post-COVID, so fewer people are dying. That's a good thing. Immigration. I've highlighted the forecast for 1,440,000 new immigrants each year through the 2020s until 2030, when it goes up, goes down to 1,341,000, and then goes down steadily throughout. Last year, this annual assumption of immigration, both legal and illegal for the 2020s, was only 680,000 a year. And I commented in last year's talk that I thought that 680,000 was a very low number, particularly because we had nearly 2 million illegal immigrants come into the country, plus legal immigration. So I still think this number is very low. It's also interesting to note that the Treasury assumes that lots of immigration is a good thing because that in the over a long period of time will produce for our country many more workers who make wages and will pay taxes and thus improve our economy. I'm not so sure that's true of our current immigration policy. I'm not so sure each new immigrant coming in is a net positive over the long term for the country. Some in fact cost a lot more than they bring in, in federal benefits over their lifetime. Uh, Go down a little further here, we see a couple more numbers highlighted. Um, Wages. Last year, the treasury department thought wages would rise 6.2% through the 2020s versus now 6.5%. That's a good thing that wages are going up, Um, And they're going to go up forecasted throughout the 2020s and then go back down to the mid-three, 37 3.6% throughout the rest of the decades. Compare that to inflation, the CPI assumption. So that assumption for the 2020s, the average was 4.5% per year. Well, two years ago, that was assumed to be inflation of only 2.3% per year. That was back in the day when it was all viewed as transitory inflation. Well, then the assumption last year was 3.1, and now it's 4.5. And we know from just last week's release, the trailing 12-month inflation was 6.0. So inflation's been running hotter than what has been assumed, and the assumption about, Future inflation throughout the 2020s has been rising, as it should. But then you see it falls back down to an assumed 2.4% inflation for the next 70 years. I think that would be unbelievably good if inflation were only 2.4% for the next 70 years. And look right above it. Wages for the next 70 years are gonna be 3.7, 3.6, 3.5. So wages for the next 70 years are assumed to be running hotter than inflation. Well, that means other things, goods and services have to be running and housing and food have to be running lower than 2.4% because wages are going up much faster than 2.4%. So when you see the end of this talk and you see what hole we're in as a country financially, you'll see why I think there's going to be a lot more inflation than 2.4% over the next 70 years per year. Um, The real wage differential up there is 2.0% assumed for the next 10 years. It's good that wages are assumed to be going up faster than inflation. That has not been true of the last couple of years, but is assumed true for the rest of the decade and for the next 70 years forward. So it's, it's a healthy thing for the economy when wages are going up faster than inflation, if it's true. How about the overall growth rate of the economy, real GDP? Uh, it's at 3.9% assumed per year for the decade, a lot of growth in the 2020s, um, and presumed to drop to 2 point, 2.0 roughly for the next 70 years. Again, I think as our economy gets bigger, it'll be great if it compounds and grows 2% a year, but those 70 years, Don't forecast any recessions and we're gonna have some during that 70 year period. Um, A lot of other costs here, there's interest rates, real interest rates, which have been negative and negative 3.0 assume per year for the 2020s. Uh, People are getting, if they invest in treasuries, they get less interest than the annual inflation rate, they're falling behind. That's forecasted not to be true in the future. The forecast is for future uh, interest rates to be above the inflation rate. And at present it is, so uh, excuse me. Today, like the 10-year bond is probably at 3.6% and inflation's at six, so it's not true today but it is presumed to revert and become true for the next 70 years. Uh, Looking at beneficiary costs of our hospital insurance or Medicare Part B or Medicare Part D, um, you can see the costs of the hospital in particular. Last year, this 6.7% assumption you see in 2022 was actually 8.2. So that 8.2 was a big assumption. And that was all the assumed hospitalization costs, hip replacements, knee replacements, shoulder replacements that were going to come on post-COVID. And there was a surge in hospitalizations. And that's presumed to be declining now and declining for many years to come. Medicare Part B, last year, the assumed annual increase was 13.1%. Now it's 6.8% and falling in future decades. We all hope that's true. And the government is going to probably mandate that true both to physician costs and drug costs and hospital costs, etc. But we have seen in our history that there's been a lot of medical inflation far more than forecast in the past. So now we're going to go to the next page. This is page 199 of the report. And I think this is the most important page of the whole report. And frankly, it doesn't deserve to be page 199, because that presumes you read a long way into this report before you get to it. And this is the present value of the cost of all the government spending less the taxes and and revenue, transfer revenue that government's gonna get. And for the social programs throughout an infinite history. Now, on prior exhibits we were just looking at, there was a 75 year time horizon. And what happens is Medicare and Social Security truncate when they make estimates at 75 years. And this example, they do not truncate at 75 years because the costs of people who are entered into the system who pay in through the next 75 years, through 2097, are also going to receive benefits after 2097. So when you truncate at 75 years, you suppress the total deficit in what your commitments are. That by using an infinite horizon and taking a net present value back, you're allowing for all the future expenses of the people paying in over the next 75 years. And in short, that lower right-hand corner summation shows that our government thinks we are 177 trillion dollars short of our future costs less the future income the present value of 177 trillion last year that was assumed at 166 trillion so it went up 11 trillion in one year Two years ago, that number was, a, was $154 trillion. So it's gone up $23 trillion in two years. Our government's own forecast for how underwater we're going to be in the future has gone up $23 trillion in just two years. That is terrible. So why is it going up so much? Well, you can see the numbers there. Uh, Medicare is going up part B, 97 trillion, part D, 27 trillion. The old age survivor disability insurance, that social security is up 64.7 trillion. These are bad numbers, but they're made good, made better by hospitalization insurance. The government's forecast is that hospitalization is gonna be a $12.5 trillion benefit over the next 75 years because they assume that future participants of this program are going to pay in $27.2 trillion more over the next 75 years. That is a heroic assumption, just like remember back a few slides ago, over the last three years, the government assumed they were gonna get 60 trillion more in tax revenues. There's $27 trillion more coming from future people paying in for hospital insurance. I also wanna point out that this report is as of January 1, 2022. So it's more than a year old. We're already past January 1, 2023. And if this number of 177 trillion has gotten worse by 23 trillion over the last two years and we're already a year advanced, we probably got worse by another 12 trillion. So we're probably at $189, 190000000000000 trillion short. And the deficit keeps marching on. So go to the next page. And we're back to the 75 year look, not the infinite look. And I just wanted to take just the existing closed group on the social insurance summary. The closed group is everybody over 15 years old, um, who we have today. And I. this is one of the Few times the Treasury Department puts the look of five consecutive years. So you can see how our social insurance of our existing population is getting more costly every year. Started out at 73.9 trillion back in 2018, and it's gone up about 7 trillion per year for the last four years to where it hits 100.6 trillion in 2022. So that the two difference of those two yellow highlighted numbers is twenty seven trillion dollars over four years. So the social insurance cost of our current in population is going up about seven trillion a year. Over a seventy five year look. So the next page, I just wanted to highlight. This is the view of the United States government by all its departments. And in one year's time, three departments stood out as being much more costly than before. And those are the Department of Veterans Affairs, the Department of Defense, and the Office of Personnel Management. Basically, these are the civil and military employees of the federal government are going to cost a lot more. And for veterans, for example, they're expanding eligibility um, rules for various benefits. The All these people are gonna live longer as we saw in earlier assumptions. So the fact that they're all gonna live longer is gonna be more costly. So, wherever we have personnel in the federal government, and these three branches have a lot of personnel, those costs are going up a lot. So, that's nearly a $2 trillion increase in a single year for these federal employees. And the last page I just wanted to mention uh, this is the actual federal debt, of which we had 24.3% to eight trillion under the 2022 column at the bottom. And you can see what makes up that debt. As you go up towards the top, the treasury bills, we have 3.643 trillion of treasury bills and those are bills under one year maturity. The government has 13.696 trillion of treasury notes and those are maturities two to 10 years And treasury bonds are those treasury instruments over 10 years, of which we have 3.867 trillion. And to the right, you see the average interest rate of each of those. Now, we all know interest rates have been going up. The average for fiscal 2022 for treasury bills, which had been near zero, was 2.5%. Right now, those treasury bills are at 4.75 heading over to north of five. So next year, you're going to see that almost double. So the interest costs for that 3.6 trillion is almost going to double next year. The treasury notes, two to ten years of maturity, went up modestly. Um, year over year, and they're going to go up again in 2023, and again in 2024, and again in 2025, that interest rate level is going to continue to rise. And the same thing for the 30-year bonds, or excuse me, treasury bonds, which are all bonds over 10 years in maturity. Right now, the average yield on a 30-year bond, treasury bond, is 3.7%. So that's going to go up as well. So not only are we having more debt and we're going to have more need for interest payments, but we all know that the interest payment, the interest rate on those payments is going to rise. And I wanted to highlight this schedule because I think this is the number one failing of the federal government and the Treasury Department. Uh, this was probably two years ago. The federal government could have issued a lot of long term bonds at very, very low rates, and they did not take advantage of lengthening the maturity of their borrowings, as many corporations did. Many of the big companies throughout America were smart enough to put out 20 and 30 year bonds at historically record low interest rates, but the federal government did not seize on that. And it should have. So we are going to see the comp- the interest grow steadily and it is one of the primary reasons that the treasury department says the fiscal path of the United States is not sustainable. So with that, I will stop. Um, I just think that a review of this 258 page report ought to be mandatory for all high school students, all college and university students in America. And I'm just so surprised there's so little coverage of a report put out annually by the treasury, but it's not promoted, it's not. And that is the purpose of this talk. So I'll stop and Get Sheila's questions and comments. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Chuck, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My, my computer died.
1: We can hear you. Just oh, okay. Well, well I will
0: just ask uh, questions, then I'll figure that out as you're talking. Um, so, uh, Now you mentioned that, um, you know, you showed the reported budget deficit number of $1.4 trillion, um, but the reported net cost, which is actually the, what the treasury said was the real deficit was $4.2 trillion. Um, Do you find it surprising that the U.S. Treasury Department is not reporting the, the, is is reporting a $1.4 trillion deficit when the real deficit is a lot higher?
1: Well, there's, as you know, a difference between cash acc- accounting and uh, accrual accounting. And the net operating costs, as I understand it, is much more on a cash basis than the accrual accounting assumptions in the longer term fiscal positions.
0: So the budget you're saying is done on a cash basis where like most wouldn't, is that what most businesses in your experience do? Do they do they manage their, no. their, yeah. their spending decisions on a cash basis or do they do it no. based on accrual?
1: Corporate accounting is based on GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles, which is accrual accounting.
0: And is that how they do their budget, too? Because the government, you know, they would say, well, we do our accounting on an accrual basis, but we it, but we don't do our budget that way.
1: Well, all companies do do cash forecasts, but they certainly do not measure their profits and report to their shareholders on a cash basis. <laughs> the shareholders would just laugh at them if they said, oh, great news. I issued a 30-year bond. I got a $100 million. Uh proceeds from the bond. And I'm gonna call all that revenue because it's on a cash basis. And I'm only gonna include the current year's interest on those bonds as an expense and ignore the next 29 years of interest. So that's why corporations don't do that kind of cash accounting and the shareholders are much more interested in gap accrual accounting as but a, Congress is
0: in making interest. decisions and budgeting using the the misleading short-sighted cash basis budget deficit.
1: What is your question? I don't understand your question.
0: Uh, I'm stating that that you know Cong- that's what Congress is using, this short-sighted, you know, cash basis budgeting uh calculation, not, not the accrual basis
1: number. That's correct. And it's not just the federal budget. The cities and state budgets also use the same cash basis um, to do their well, budget it, make,
0: it makes the politicians look good now,
1: but because they well, don't you have don't to, have to account fully for all your future promises. You certainly look better financially than otherwise.
0: now you also highlight that the wages are increasing, you know due to inflation. But wouldn't it also mean that, you know, wouldn't Medicare and other medical costs, don't they increase even more than inflation usually?
1: Well, in the assumptions, the medical costs of Medicare are assumed to be going up at 6.8% per year in the 2020s, 5.3% per year in the 2030s, 4.7% per year in the 2040s, and 3.8% Percent per year thereafter. So all of those are far above the assumed inflation rate, CPI rate. Yes, medical expenses are assumed to be going up higher than inflation.
0: So the numbers are, I think you were saying, correct me if I'm wrong, they were better because the wages were increasing. So therefore the government would collect more taxes, um, but that, that would be offset by all of these medical costs that the government is on the hook for.
1: Yes, and it is assumed in their 75 year look that there'll be continued rises in the medical costs. That's why the total underwater commitment hits 177 trillion out to the infinite horizon.
0: Now, uh, do you think that, um, you know, members of Congress read
1: this report? I do not. (laughs) I think they may read the one or two page summary the Treasury Department puts out. And in reading that summary, they're going to read, hey, great news. We dropped our deficit 50% in a single year. We're terrific. We're doing our job. I don't know that they're going to get, and it's not really highlighted in the summary too much, that we're really $177 trillion short over an infinite horizon, and it's $12 trillion worse than the prior year, and $23 trillion worse than the prior two years.
0: And and going back to members of Congress, and, and, and when they passed legislation, you talked a lot about you know the assumptions and you know the tons of assumptions that are into these costs that so they're passing legislation that will result in these benefits, which obviously are based on a lot of assumptions on what those benefits will be. Um, do you think that the members of Congress understand that when they when they pass legislation that affects these benefits?
1: No. But they've got staff that could certainly read this report in full and brief them on it, or they can watch this video (laughs) to get more insight on a summary of a 258 page report. But I think we'll include it.
0: We'll include a link to it on our Truth and Accounting website, and we have you know, emails for the members of Congress, we will send a link to this video into the report um, to members of Congress. So hopefully that'll prompt them to um, um, care about. I do, I do want
1: to say it's clear that they all understand, Senate and House, all of Congress understands that our fiscal position is unsustainable. That comes through year after year in this report. And that's kind of a common knowledge. But it's also common knowledge that politically, if you try to address multi-trillion dollar problems, it's an unpopular thing because it means more taxes, less benefits, and people don't vote for you in reelection if you pass what's needed to to restore our country's fiscal health.
0: Now, when you say unsustainable, uh, one, thing that that means is, and you talk about the 70, $177 trillion, uh, I believe that one thing that this means is that the government has gone ahead and promised $177 trillion worth of benefits, and they don't have any idea where they're going to get the money to pay those benefits. Is that is that correct?
1: I believe that is correct. And I think they will pay those benefits. I have no doubt they will pay them. I um, I think they're going to print money. You print money, you cause rapid inflation to meet all your obligations. So that's why I think inflation is going to be so much higher than forecast over the next- Yeah,
0: but if if the medical costs are raising, are going up higher than inflation, then even if they- If they try to inflate their way out of it, they won't
1: be able to, will they? Well, you can always bring a current year crisis or you can print the money and pay the bills and put it off till another year. And that's what has happened. And that will continue to happen until what really stops the merry-go-round is if people stop buying US government bills, notes, and bonds. And the number one buyer of these bills, notes, and bonds is the Federal Reserve. We buy our own debt. So when foreign governments stop buying the debt or when corporations stop or individuals stop, that is going to leave only the federal government to buy our own debt as they print the paper.
0: Now, now isn't... China one of the buyers of our, one of the foreign people um, who buy yes, the
1: debt? And they hold less debt than they used to, but Japan and China are the largest foreign holders of US debt and it's it is under 2 trillion for each of them, down around, maybe around 1 trillion for China. There has been some concern, well, what if China sells all its debt immediately and that would cause a hiccup. We would have higher yields, but of 24 trillion outstanding, China only holds one. So that's, that's not gonna be enough to move the market. I think it's more, oh, just, as we like saw, it. me, just as we saw in this week's bank runs, when you lose confidence and people start pulling out their deposits out of banks, you get a run on the bank and the thing collapses. If the primary buyers of government bonds, notes, and bills ever loses confidence in the government, it will fall in on itself pretty rapidly. And honestly, it's Standard and Poor's and Moody's who rate these, and they can, you know, they've downgraded once, but not to the level I think is truly forecasted in this Treasury report.
0: So then China might, you know, for example, if we didn't support um, their invasion of say Taiwan or for other reasons, might not buy the Treasury bills, then then that you're saying might lose other people might lose confidence in them, and then we would get in essence a no, instead of a run on the bank. I'm, fence, saying.
1: I'm oh. not saying that. I'm saying China's one trillion is really not a big threat. It would hurt temporarily short term it would not trigger a panic
0: oh okay you don't th- okay great now um now what you said that there's you pointed out that there's 3.6 trillion dollars of one year treasuries and so if people you know if people don't buy these treasury bonds then does that mean that we we would have to cut spending because we don't dramatically because all of a sudden we don't have money that's borrowed Um, when we don't have the ability to borrow money?
1: No, the Federal Reserve can always buy all of the bonds. It can print money and buy the bonds. And that's what happened.
0: Is that what happened during COVID where um, we had to issue a lot of debt at the same at once to in order to, you know, to, I think, turn the to fire hose on in money to, to squelch the problems that were being created by COVID?
1: Yes, the money supply increased nearly 40% in a single year when we began to print money and pay it out in COVID relief bills.
0: And then the federal debt schedule that you showed, I didn't see any like Social Security or Medicare um, debt on there at all, Um, even the money to the trust
1: funds? Well, that money is held in trust and there are separate exhibits in this report that detail the government transfers. And there is a very clear, but very complicated diagram of how all the money moves around between the federal government and the trust funds. I didn't go into it because of its complexity. And to me, money is fungible. Uh, I I don't have the expertise of knowing all the laws about the transfer from each account. There is legislation um, regarding that. I don't know of all the federal transfer rules.
0: And I would say that you know you were a CFO, I'm an accountant, and we can't understand this. Is there any hope that the members of Congress or the president would understand how the, all of that works? <laughs>
1: uh, it would be a very useful thing to have someone sit with the treasury secretary before Congress and talk through how to make our financial statements clearer, more transparent, more upfront and timely. I think that would benefit everybody. Who could be against that? Yeah, definitely. However, the the one negative impact, if you were clear, it might become too clear of how much trouble we're in and it might therefore trigger a problem. Yes,
0: and that might be one of the reasons that they are more opaque than uh, you and I would like them to be.
1: Well, there's a reason that the Treasury Secretary and her staff choose to put the the Infinite Horizon obligations on page 199 of a report.
0: And also there was a reason that the report was issued late on a Thursday, maybe a Friday. Um, And as you said...
1: And there's a reason why it's issued a week after the State of the Union.
0: And now the interest repayments you uh, mentioned, um, you know, those are going up. So as the interest payments go up, um, how does that affect other spending?
1: Well, <laughs> it just enlarges the deficit. I really don't think it affects other spending because just because we pay $100 billion more in interest than we did the prior year, doesn't mean we have to cut 100 billion somewhere else. We just enlarge the deficit another 100 billion. So what's, I mean, what is the market reaction to a $1.4 trillion deficit versus a $1.5 trillion deficit? It's seen as the same. But what what the citizenry does not recognize is the government's overall net position is deteriorating at a rate of 12 trillion a year. And it's not going to take too many more years of that before inflation takes off. Now, with regard to Social Security and Medicare, they they do acknowledge that the hospital trust fund is going to run out of its money in 2028 and social security is going to run out in 2035 according to current projections and this report details oh by the way you have to cut all benefits 20 percent for all future or for existing and future in order to get balance or we can just cut all benefits twenty four percent for all future social security recipients.
0: Now I think some people have been talking about, you know doing some reforms to social security, um, and then other people are like, as you mentioned, that's a political, you know uh, third rail, but isn't what you're, aren't, aren't what you're saying that if we don't do anything, benefits are going to to be cut unless we raise taxes significantly?
1: Well, benefits are gonna be cut when we run out of money, but I think we will not run out of money, we'll print more money and we'll have more inflation. So I if don't under think- Under current that,
0: law, they would if the money runs out of the trust funds, then the benefits would be cut, but that's current law. Uh, yeah. Do you just anticipate they'll change the current law? Yeah. Um, and I, I believe that the assumptions that are, are made I, I just wonder if the assumptions that they're making are assuming that the benefits are going to be cut once the trust funds run out. I don't think that's the case, though. Um, no,
1: it is not.
0: Now, the other thing that is, is in the report is that the government gets a disclaimer opinion um, from, their finan- from their auditors. Um, what, what does that mean? And, and what would happen if a corporation got a disclaimer opinion on their
1: financial statements? Well, it's very interesting because there is an exhibit that shows all the various departments' audits um, and how many disclaimer opinions are in which departments. Um, Sadly, I don't know where i put that exhibit uh, out of the 258 pages, but the government accounting has gotten worse over the years instead of betters. In particular, the Department of Defense. The Department of Defense has gotten a failed audit in each of the last three years. And prior to that, they weren't even doing their audits. Um, but we, So the, to answer your question, what would happen to a corporation if it failed its audit? It would be closed down. It would be taken over by the SEC.
0: And I don't know if I've ever seen, and maybe when you did your res- your Google of the financial report, I don't think I've ever seen anybody mention that they they fail their audit, um, the federal
1: government. No, and if you read the detail of well, what did they fail? They fail in so many different areas, particularly the Department of Defense. They fail in they don't even know how many buildings they own. They don't have any full knowledge of their inventory. they don't know where the money goes and part of it is I understand if you're a Defense department and you're funding arms to another nation, you may not want to make that visible for enemies to know what arms are going to what nations or what how much you're paying to different people. Uh, there's some geopolitical reasons to keep that hidden, but It is so big and so historically confused. And we spend as a government tens of millions of dollars to auditors to try to figure it out. And then they report, no, it fails. We can't, it's not balanced and we can't balance it. And we're just gonna tell you it's failed.
0: And the Depart- Defense Department is the largest spending organization by far, and it just fails, fails the audit.
1: Well, Health and Human Services is probably a big spender, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they, they probably get that.
0: Yeah. Uh, was well, there anything else that you want to uh, mention in relation to the report? We, we appreciate your highlighting these important issues.
1: Um, I did come across the same thing I come across every year. Uh, it was an interesting... Uncollectible taxes. How many taxes uh, aren't going, aren't collected, and it's hundreds of billions of dollars. Again, the, and they break it down between unreported and misreported, and and it's a big number, and it's some, it's like. You could collect a hundred percent of all uncollectible taxes over the next 75 years, and it might make up 40 to 45 percent of your whole. So, I was surprised both by how much is not collected, and so it's good, I think, that we increase the size of the IRS. I don't know that I would do it with 80,000 people,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, again, thank you very much for, you know, your an- analysis of this. We really appreciate it. Uh, we, we, um, we hope that people, you know, are, are listening, paying attention. Uh, as I said, we're going to send it to members of Congress. Um, if the viewers, uh, you know, want to contact their member of Congress and say, hey, have you watched this? Um, that would be powerful to have one of their constituents say that or at least have them say, hey, ask the member of Congress, have you read the federal government's financial statement and what are you gonna do about uh, the government being unsustainable? Um, So thank you again, we appreciate it and we appreciate all our viewers um, watching.
1: Glad to do it, thanks for having me, Sheila. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.